Other than, I like this movie. It has food. (laughs) (laughs) I like this movie. (laughs) Hey, Bubblies, and welcome to My Streaming Bubble, that little old podcast where I talk about the shows that I love with the people I tolerate. I'm your host, Jen, and today's episode will be the first in hopefully several episodes where a tolerable picks their favorite Disney Pixar film and we chat about it. And who better to start this series with than the very first person to be tolerated on this podcast, Laura. Hi, Laura. Hi. How are you? Super. Super. We're talking about a food movie today. Super. I gotcha. (laughs) (laughs) And let the puns begin. So I'm pretty sure we have brought up this movie in in past episodes. I don't know which one. So if anyone remembers, please let me know. I talk a lot and I don't remember everything I say. So, (laughs) But either way, we are here to discuss this beautiful, heartwarming, delicious ratatouille. I don't think I phrased that sentence right, but whatever, we're going to roll with it. So yeah, we're discussing Ratatouille, and it came out in 2007, and it stars Brad Garrett, Lou Romano, Patton Oswalt, Ian Holm, Brian Dennehy, Peter Sohn, Peter O'Toole, Janine Garofalo, just to name a few. Will Arnett also does a voice in this. Oh, and then John Ratzenberger, because he can't have like a Disney Pixar film without John popping up doing a voice somewhere. Uh, this movie is available on Disney+. Plus. If you do not have Disney+, Plus, ask someone for their login info, or you can rent or buy it from any other streaming services like Vudu, not an ad, or check it out from your local library. Totally an ad. So, <laughs> <laughs> we'll go ahead and real quick, this is, consider this your synopsis slash spoiler warning for a movie that came out in 2007. So I am, kind. So, I know. Uh, <laughs> I'm... I have my moments. Shut up. Uh, I didn't the, I- say anything. <laughs> <laughs> the IMDb synopsis is simply a rat who can cook makes an unusual alliance with a young kitchen worker at a famous Paris restaurant. My synopsis is anyone can cook. Oh my God. It's so wonderful. I wrote dramatic crying so I can remember to do the dramatic crying. <laughs> I'm glad your cue cards are working. Thank you. (laughs) If I don't write it down, I don't do the thing. (laughs) If I hold one up, will you do it? (laughs) I don't know. Maybe. It depends. (laughs) Hmm. I feel like I probably would. Oh, that's. We'll pin that for a future podcast experiment. (laughs) (laughs) Noted. (laughs) All right. So, Laura, when given the opportunity to pick which Disney Pixar film you wanted to do, you chose this one. Why? (laughs) I don't know. You know, whenever I'm having like a bad day or whatever, I always end up turning it on. Really? It's like a comfort watch for you. Comfort food. Comfort food. Ah. (laughs) (laughs) No, but it, yeah, it's a heartwarming story. And I know that it has the Disney trope of like, it's got a little bit of like a romance thread in it. And the best part about that is I don't care about that. I could throw that away and still love the movie. So, yeah. you know, it's just, it's nice. It's, it focuses on the important things like food. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. 
Yeah, because the, the whole like romantic storyline between Colette and Linguini, Linguini it's, it's so, it's like tertiary. It's like barely, it, it seemed, I don't want to say it seems like an afterthought, but it just, it's not important or relevant to the overall story. Right. It's like, like, oh, this is Paris, so I guess we better put this in here. But yeah. Eh, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> so let's see. So yeah, I, I love this movie. This might be my favorite Disney Pixar movie. I'm wondering how many more times I'm going to say this as I move forward and do more of the Disney Pixar movie episodes. Well, I, I know what you mean, because it it's hard to pick a clear-cut winner. Like Absolutely. so, I really love Inside Out. As oh my well. God, me too. That's ex- that was the exact movie I was thinking about when I was just saying, I I will probably say it a lot that this is my favorite movie. I was thinking of Inside Out because I really love that movie too. Yeah, there's so many good ones, <laughs> and they're all great for their different reasons and the kind of overall themes of the movie. Now, yeah, Disney Pixar it's gonna focus a lot on very similar shit like friendship and love and blah blah blah. But <laughs> that's my but, favorite subject <laughs> mine too but oh i love I, I know this isn't the inside out episode but i just that movie is just so fucking good and for the way it tackles the themes that it does the other one i really loved when i first saw it was up me too except for oh. the beginning the beginning can go fuck off but other that than that one just rips out my heart <laughs> so harsh i think whenever we watch it either oh well the kids are jerks so they're always like mom look she's dying (laughs) your kids are great (laughs) mom look it's the sad part (laughs) i hate you guys (laughs) another recent favorite of mine also is uh turning red i love that movie i can't fucking get enough of that movie you know like i love red pandas for a start so like as soon as i saw a red panda in the promo pic i was like oh sold i don't even know what it's about sold We're already off on a million tangents, but what we <laughs> is that Pixar does some great movies. Yes. And Ratatouille deserves special mention because we love food. Exactly. The food looks so good. This might be, take the place of our food episode that we've been talking <laughs> about doing for almost three years now. So, <laughs> Oh, we got to do that. <laughs> Hold on, there's a spider. Oh, I missed! I'm kind of freaked out. I didn't get it. It was kind of big. Uh, okay. Oh, no, I don't like it. Uh, anyways, so Ratatouille is a great movie. Thanks for listening. Bye! <laughs> <laughs> Okay. (laughs) So what we were talking about, the food looks delicious. This movie makes is definitely one of those movies where the food looks so good. You just want it to be real and just. I know. I looked up a recipe for ratatouille and I was like, that doesn't sound appealing at all, but I still want to eat that Mm -hmm. from the movie. Just give me the plate. Well, and then I was reading too that the ratatouille dish like in this movie, there's is, is an alternate version of confit uh, bialdi, B-Y-A-L-D-I. Um, and it varies in like the food preparation. So oh. 
Ratatouille doesn't, I don't, I would don't, I'm not going to say it doesn't like exist, exist, but what they showed us in the movie is just a different take on a similar dish, I guess. Fair. So uh, it, it looked beautiful. It looks so good. Just based on Anton's reaction alone, man, I want to try it. <laughs> yes. Oh my God. And we'll get to Anton here in a minute, but what do you think about just kind of that Gustav's idea that anyone can, can cook? Well, I thought it was a really clever play on words from the movie's perspective, because, you know, the way it was phrased at first, at least from Remy's perspective, made it sound like it just meant literally anyone can cook. Um, but it was a little more nuanced than that. You know, like a good cook can come from anywhere. So in that sense, anyone could be a good cook, right? Mm -hmm. And I thought, well, yeah, that's, that is so true. Like, I still say we should go on Nailed It because I'd be hilarious on camera in the kitchen because I'm clumsy as I'll get out and they're going to give me knives and blow torches and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, clumsiness aside, I am actually a really good cook, especially when it comes to like desserts. I For a while when I was growing up, I thought it would be really cool to be a pastry chef until I found out how much standing in one spot you got to do and that's not good for me with cerebral palsy so I had to you know put that dream aside but I yeah I you know I I've I remember in school like you know with the home ec classes and everything kind of having a helicopter moments with the teachers oh because they're like oh she's gonna cut herself oh she's gonna burn herself oh she's gonna make such a horrible mess whatever and that does wonders my, for confidence i know all my food came out beautifully my kitchen space was absolutely a disaster <laughs> <laughs> clean as you go yep. right yep. yeah I, I, I learned that eventually <laughs> <laughs> but the food was amazing and they'd always have this look of like genuine shock on their faces so maybe maybe that's part of why I love this movie so much because like I can identify with that a bit yeah yeah oh that's a good <laughs> they, they were surprised your food turned out and then you're there just like she's such an inspiration oh god they did say that <laughs> oh no I was joking <laughs> <laughs> Because I know how much you love that. I I do. I love it so much. But, you know, they probably found it amusing as well. Because, like, when I'm concentrating really hard on, a like, a fine motor skill task, like many things in cooking require, I do the Michael Jordan thing where my tongue sticks out a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> Not yes. So picturing that. Imagine super short, extra young looking me clumsily in a kitchen making a huge mess with my tongue sticking out. No wonder you got helicoptered. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Limping around as I do. Oh man, it's it's so nerve-wracking for me if I've got to carry like a baking tray or like a like a cake pan or something full of of cake batter. Mm -hmm. And it's like sloshing back and forth because of how I walk. <laughs> like, oh, I hope this cake is level. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, we need to get you on a cooking show just so I think the world could see that. I think that would be very, I think it'd be a fun, sweet, and inspirational watch. <laughs> Can we call it Crip Cooking? <laughs> you call it whatever you want. <laughs> crip Cooking. Oh my God, that's hilarious. Okay. Anyways, so anyone can cook, even Laura. No. <laughs> yeah. I'm not even a rat. Yeah. <laughs> so I do really love that whole idea that, you know, not just, you know, what was it like at the end, uh, Anton's review is something like, not everyone can be great, but greatness can come from anywhere. Yeah. Kind of in relation to cooking. And I really like that. I just kind of love that whole, like, very supportive, heartwarming theme of anyone can cook. And then how even, like, Colette in the kitchen try to maintain Gustav's image of anyone and being supportive that anyone can cook and open to give anyone a chance. And how all the different members of the kitchen all kind of have their own little sordid backstory. My favorite yeah. being the one that looks gordon ramsay-esque but has like that he, and it's like in a jokery kind of way has a different backstory about how he murdered a guy with his justice thumb yeah so, i love that how that one came back later in the movie when he was yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh Continuity. yeah gotta love it yeah i do i love those little attention to detail moments that you get in pixar movies in general mm -hmm. and i think you know that lent itself really well to ratatouille because like that level of cooking is attention to detail yes i love this movie for all those reasons and it's like yeah the little like romantic storyline is just so kind of bottom of the list of everything else it did almost feel like yeah yeah we're in paris we should probably have two characters fall in love, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. But other than that, it's like, and it, and and it's not like that moment like ruins the movie or anything in any way. And, in, and I don't mind it also because it also feels like a natural progression of a relationship, you yeah. know, especially after they kind of realize they both have feelings for each other and everything that their relationship isn't then rushed or put into the forefront of then the storyline or of the movie. Now they're just a couple and yeah. And now he's able to be open and honest about his little chef. <laughs> little chef. Little I chef. love how that, you know, was played off as like he could be talking about mm -hmm. inappropriate <laughs> things his or, just, or just being crazy. Yeah. Or just being crazy. I have this tiny chef that tells me what to do. <laughs> Oh, don't you all, though? <laughs> <laughs> all right. What did you think of Remy and voiced by Patton Oswald and his ambitions in wanting to kind of break free from hashtag rat life and to become something better, a better version of himself, of rat kind, yeah. and to be to carry on a great chef legacy? I mean, I'm always a fan of breaking out of stereotypes. Um, and the rat one's a really hard one to break out of, seriously. But uh, yeah, I, you know, I also think it's cool from like an evolution standpoint. Like to me, it, it's maybe feasible one day. Like there are stories about crows and ravens actually making their own tools now and, you know, it's so scary. doing clever things. 
And I'm just like, yeah, okay, I can buy that. So it wasn't so much of a willful suspension of disbelief as it probably should have been. (laughs) 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 Um, But I love that he would like sneak down to the kitchen, you know, in the house that they were living in at the beginning to like grab ingredients and try out new recipes and Mm -hmm. watch a little bit of his favorite chef and 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 the one thing that he wanted to save when everything went wrong was the cookbook and it was just so cute it was horrible (laughs) but how terrifying and weird would that be like not just the rat infestation the number of rats living in your fucking attic because that was disgusting but then to see I wonder one, how heavy that was like when the no ceiling shit. and it was all of them I'm just like wow <laughs> it's a lot it's super gross but then like to see one run against the the herd so to speak to save a cookbook yeah that would have been so perplexing yeah I think I'd probably but, stop shooting after that because I'd be so confused I'd be like what <laughs> <laughs> but okay she was crazy too though like would you seriously shotgun your house to pieces trying to get a rat? Fuck no. Fuck no. And she wouldn't give up. I'm just like, wow, lady. And she's, what, she almost seemed maybe borderline prepper. Maybe, like, getting ready for the end of days, which then we'll touch on a little later. that the rats were kind of doing the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> no, she couldn't be. It was only about her and humanity and only the strong hey, survive look 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 unintentional food source and scenario. oh then not a very good prepper i guess <laughs> but you know you see that many rats you're gonna freak out and i don't know like shooting up your entire house <laughs> level freak out but something along those lines i guess would you but... do that for spiders though i probably would <laughs> <laughs> Gotta know where you draw that line. You had to bring up spiders. Now I'm looking up again. Okay. So, yeah. So, I loved Remy. I think he's absolutely adorable. And I really like Patton Oswald. And I love, he just, he's got a good voice to do voiceovers. Um, he does. I, I, I love Remy, generally speaking. And, you know, the way, the way he has like this, you know, very, sensory heavy experience with food like the visuals and everything they're all amazing and like I love the different music he hears when he Mm -hmm. eats something it's it's cool and it makes me wonder if anyone has like neurological conditions that allow them to do things like that because that would be really cool I've heard of different things where you know yeah yeah you can taste something and maybe you hear something or you see a color or something along those lines different uh, sensory connections or something i just very little i and i think it's really interesting that it appears that people are able to do that for whatever the reason is. yeah like imagine trying to compose an entire symphony with food <gasps> oh okay <laughs> there's your ratatouille sequel right there like a mozart type spin oh, on it i want it i want it <laughs> But I will say this about Remy. There were a couple of instances there where he was being very condescending. And I'm just like, oh, dude, you're a rat. Be better. (laughs) But he's a chef. And I think there is a bit of arrogance that goes along with kind of, especially a head chef mentality. That's a good point. You know, but that a stereotype, though. I think it is, you know. Okay. But 
But from my understanding, and this is just based on like Timmy's like 16 years experience in the kitchen, is that these are some alpha types, very confident and maybe even smug and kind of condescending at times because their shit is the best. So he, I would agree that Remy kind of had those moments, especially towards Colette. You know, mm-hmm. obviously not directly, but since he's forcing uh, Linguini to do all the things and forcing Linguini to directly counter everything Colette says. And then even to the point where the soup or the dish made it out the door and Remy under the hat does the little arm cross and kind of looks over his shoulder towards Colette's direction. All just like, huh, there you go. It's like. I, I agree that it's like, dude, chill, you're a fucking rat. But I thought that kind of went along with that, I guess, sure, stereotype of head chefs. Yeah, and he types. was right about the sauce. I mean, come on. And see, and there you get it. There, you know, he knows he's right. And but does that, you know, like all these head chefs across the world that may have that kind of attitude it's it's earned right like they've Mm -hmm. they've worked hard they've studied hard whether officially formally through school or just through experience so they know they know how these flavors are going to work they know how it's all going to come together so i guess we want a little bit of that in our chefs that confidence that unshakable confidence yeah i guess you have a point there it's just really funny you know He's trying so hard to break out of the stereotype and, you know, be more than what a rat is perceived to be. <laughs> but he kind of just like exponentially does that. It's like he goes from wanting to break out of one stereotype just to fit into another stereotype. <laughs> he Yay, doesn't want to be a rat a new stereotype. Box. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, there were there were a few. Mo- was there another specific moment with Remy that you're just like, bruh? Yeah, when he was like vindictive and invited the whole rat colony to come oh. raid the kitchen. I was like, dude, yeah. that's low. That is low. That was that was just some like, yeah, that's some petty shit. And that just goes like that's just petty. Yeah, vindictive. I'm mad at my friend, so I'm gonna act out. Eh. Yeah, no kidding. I respect food in the kitchen so much. You piss me off. I'm going to defile it. Mm-hmm. Like, wait, what? <laughs> that seems a little contrary to everything you've just been saying. But okay, we yep. know you're petty now. Yep. <laughs> Is that a chef stereotype? I don't know. I don't think so. Like, Pettiness? Some of them have that reputation, I suppose. But I don't think all of them do. No. That could just be just an individual, more of individual kind of thing and not a broad stroke yeah characteristic or anything so all right let's see who else we've got oh of course we've got alfredo linguini the most delicious name ever (laughs) i love alfredo sauce by the way and i could eat it like soup and i acknowledge how disgusting that is and i don't care (laughs) noted (laughs) so what did you think of little linguini well he's not really little but you know linguini he's adorably klutzy and as i mentioned earlier i can kind of empathize with that <laughs> but also you ever have those days like i like to refer to them as linguini days now <laughs> oh go on but you just feel like you can't do anything right <laughs> like you're not good at anything yes i've had linguini days <laughs> like existential crisis days 
their linguini days. Like his purpose in life was to be a, a rat chef's like puppet. <laughs> <laughs> but also a really good waiter because like when he was on roller skates waiting tables all by himself, he was flying around that restaurant like he was nobody's business. Remembered everybody's order, filled up everybody's glasses, got everyone their food. Like, I'm like, oh, you should just do this. <laughs> yeah. He excels at, at, you know, at being a waiter. I also want to just point out that Linguini Days sounds like a, <laughs> like a pasta festival. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It can be that too. I want to go to a pasta festival now. Anyways. Do they exist? Mm, I don't know. They need to exist. There's got to be, right? Because there's like a festival for everything. Right. Mmm, fresh pasta. Oh my god, yum. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> this is what happens when we talk about food and food-based movies and shows. Yeah, we I get like hungry. We get hungry and we want all the food. We want the noodles and the cheese and the cheese fries and the cheese noodles. All the cheese. Yes. <laughs> cheese days. Cheese days. And there are there is a cheese days. Uh Green County and it's every other year. Monroe. Yeah. Monroe. Is it this year? I gotta go. I can't remember if it's this year because, you know, 2020, it fucked everything all up. So I'm not sure. And I don't know if they even came back last year to make up. So hmm. I, I don't know where things stand, but I, Cheese Days was a lot of fun. The first time we went, when we came up, it was the young girl that won Miss Cheese Days was milking a cow. <laughs> in her pretty dress and sash and crown and everything i, I love like, it i fucking love this state <laughs> <laughs> but anyways enough about cheese days yeah for now for now uh linguini loved him thought he was a thought he was absolutely adorable and i liked that he was fine with just being a kick-ass waiter and not really wanting to pursue the cooking thing. Like at first he kind of goes along with, you know, the, the idea that he and Remy seem to have at the same time of him basically becoming Remy's animatronic, so to speak. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, he, he only did that so as not to get fired because he just kind of needed a job to keep his adorable rinky dink apartment that had a better view than his big place. I just have to say that his view was so much better. I know it was small and he was very humble and it was really cute, but Remy's window view was much better in the old place. I agree. I would have been happy at a little dinky place like that. With that view? Fuck yeah. You don't need a lot. It's fine. Yeah, it's fine. So, but he seemed to, so other than just trying to save his ass at first, that's all he was looking to do. He's He wasn't setting out to become some great chef or to continue Gusto's idea that anyone can cook and take any limelight or anything away from anybody, you know, Colette or even Skinner. He didn't give a shit about any of that. But he went along with it. And I like that at the end, he was just content with being a waiter. But I do wonder if after all that time, just through muscle memory alone, can, can Linguini cook now? I would hope so. I would hope he learned something from, yeah, you know, actually doing the movements and observing everything that, you know, Remy was having him do. They didn't really touch on that, though, and I, I really want them to. Yeah, I think I kind of was wondering that, you know, these last couple of times, because I rewatched it this morning, but I already, the kids and I watched it, like, on Wednesday. 
<laughs> I love this movie so much. So yeah, the last couple of times I'm like, did he retain any of that? When when him and Colette have like dinner at home, do they take turns cooking or are they both making the meal or you know what I mean? Like, what's that? What's that like for him now? His life yeah. cooking wise. Or if he just is like, nope, I am more than happy with just helping out in other ways. Which that is not a bad like thing. Him. Yeah, that definitely seems more along the lines of Linguini. So I liked it. I thought it was, I thought he's adorable. Just that clumsy touch of awkward. Yep. All right, let's see. Who else? Oh, what about the whole like illegitimate son, an illegitimate child in a Disney Pixar movie? Now, I guess technically <laughs> they did kill a parent, but because <laughs> you the know, the mother Disney's... again. Well, and Gusto. So <laughs> both parents, really. But we don't, we're not in any way like attached. It's just kind of, even, even Linguini is just like, oh, yeah, yeah, she, she died, whatever. Not a big yeah. deal. <laughs> so blase about it. So we like, don't okay. have, so we're not, we don't have any kind of like emotional attachment or, you know, gut punches because we have to witness a beloved character or just being introduced to a character through a heartbreaking moment. Right. So this is a fairly safe, happy, sure, two people die, but it's off screen and we never <laughs> so meet them. Fairly safe, happy, sure, two people die. <laughs> Best line ever. <laughs> oh, the things these movies, things Disney Pixar makes me say. So, but you know what I mean. Their deaths weren't tragic or traumatic. They happened just because they yeah, had to. No, I do know what you mean. And, you know, maybe it's like, you get that little twinge of oh poor orphan boy he's so clumsy and just doesn't have his life together at all kind of thing and then the whole yeah illegitimate child storyline was new yeah first time for for disney i don't know that they've done it i can't think that think of any other movie where they've done it since but not like that no i mean like okay you could go back and um to like cinderella where she's got the stepsisters and everything, but that's not the same. Like, but I imagine at the time that that was controversial too. Sure. Cause you know, everyone's very much happy nuclear family, <laughs> but yeah, I don't recall an, an actual like illegitimate child scenario before. And it's funny cause like he doesn't look anything like Gusto at least as we see Gusto. Mm -hmm. So it's like, yeah, wow. I, I wonder what his mom looked like. Yeah. And also comparing Gusto, who is, you know, world famous chef to his son, Linguini. It's like, oh yeah, you know the saying, never trust a skinny chef. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so, like what if, what if they did that like on purpose to demonstrate cooking ability oh maybe oh that's very good i could see that being intentional because there's a lot there's a lot of thought and detail that goes into these movies the pixar movies from little easter eggs to past movies and future movies to just the accuracy of just this kind of hashtag kitchen life like anthony bourdain has praised this movie for all of its details from the little burns on their wrists, or, you know, on their arms from reaching the ovens and just everything. 
So yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if that wasn't just that intentional choice of, yeah, don't trust a, a skinny cook. Yeah. And, you know, on the subject of the kitchen life and everything, first of all, I love Anthony Bourdain. Mm-hmm. Rest in peace. I would, I would watch his shows over and over again. I just, I really loved him. Um, he's definitely missed, uh, but yeah, they, they took a lot of care in setting all of that up. You know, the little details with, like you said, the burns on the sleeves and, and how they use their knives. And, but even when they went through and talked about everyone's kitchen role and how important each one is and why, I thought that was really clever because it kind of was like a really well-built-in teaching moment. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I 100% agree. And that's, again, just that level of detail that these movies go into for as much like accurate representation in these fictional, in this fictional world. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's great. But then, you know, back to your question at hand, I just, I love the whole Skinner dynamic, (laughs) you know, like if we're talking about physical stature being like representative of, of, you know, who that person is as a, as a chef, or maybe even as a person, I'm just like, Oh, look, they made a chihuahua. I know. <laughs> oh my God. They kind of did. They really kind of did. Like, he's got the ego of someone as big as Gusteau, but he's this big. He's so teeny. And he's just like, yep, yep, yep. You've been around. Yeah. And it, you know, it kind of and he overcompensated with his giant chef hat and mm-hmm. he had his little footstool which I found hilarious because I'm like I need one of those <laughs> but like I don't know I wonder how good of a cook was he really you never saw him cook mm-hmm. anything no like was this like I used to be able to cook but now I'm so concerned with you know my reputation and greediness and whatever that you know I, I just I talk a good game now and that's it could be could be I I hope that there aren't chefs out there like him but there probably are for all we know yeah yeah I I I would hope not but yeah that's the chances are just too great I think he deserved everything bad that happened to him in this movie Oh, yeah. I barely, you know, and it's like, I know Skinner is kind of like the antagonist or whatever, the the villain, so to speak, and rightfully so. But I just, I don't even pay attention to, like, that part of the storyline. <laughs> I'm in it for the food and the friendship, okay? And Skinner gets in the way of that, and it's really easy to just kind of ignore his bits. Yeah. I mean, the whole, like, constantly seeing Remy and then not seeing him, like, and just driving him crazy was was fun for me mm-hmm. <laughs> that is the more uh entertaining parts and and everything but yeah i know otherwise... it's a trope but yeah but it's a fun one and it's secondary like you said yeah. it like the romance is tertiary this is the secondary plot line and all it does is is to serve to give linguini a chance to have a decent life mm-hmm. and remy a chance to be a proper chef mm-hmm. and you know it serves its purpose <laughs> but Oh, the whole like Chef Boyardee stuff that they had going on. <laughs> like the was it Hush Puppy? Like 
with the corn cob and the dog ears. Oh yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah, that... something. I don't know. Like, what the heck is going on there? <laughs> yeah, that was kind of interesting too. I like that little take on the whole Chef Boyardee and the mass marketing and the overproduced foods um, from and just like the different uh, cultures of foods. You know, there was yeah. So... <laughs> Or their interpretation of them anyway. And I really appreciate that when they had the different gustos, they showed the different gustos as their different food types or, you know, food cultures. And they did not have the Asian one speak. So I was very appreciative. I was worried the first time I saw that. I'm like, oh, no. Oh, no. You know, they had the one have like a really like Texan drawl and all that stuff. And I'm like, oh, if they're going to do that. Oh, no. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I appreciated that they didn't do that even in what was it? 2007. I said that this movie came out. So because I feel like quite as woke then. Not quite, but definitely like definitely in a place where we knew better. So I appreciate that they didn't go that route. Uh, Making fun of like a deep Texan Southern draw, like whatever. I don't care. (laughs) That's just a regional dialect. Exactly. (laughs) So I did have to. uh, Yeah. So I was like, thank God. I didn't want to have to poop on this movie for that. So good job. Yeah. Yeah. They knew where to draw the line. (laughs) So let's talk about, let's talk about Colette real quick, and then we'll move on to uh, the critic, Anton Ego. So I obviously love Colette. I love Janine Garofalo, and I love the points and kind of what she represents in this movie, and that's, you know, breaking into a non-traditional field and Mm -hmm. the kind of the ruthlessness, I guess, the cutthroatness of it. And just having to try and be that much better than everyone to try and succeed. And so I love that they included her in that. I love that Linguini did respect her and would wanted to try and follow her instructions and everything. But Remy had other ideas, as we had discussed. So I really, I just, I really appreciated that because I think that also shows, you know, again, a, a female-like head chef in that non-traditional uh, career occupation, which is I always thought was so fucking ironic since women quote belong in the kitchen that why aren't why aren't there more women head chefs? I know, and if you go historically into cooking and and, and all that, uh, there's plenty to draw from. Yeah, and so there's a lot about Colette's character that I like for you know all the reasons that you said. Like succinctly, she's an absolute badass. And, you know, she's made her way to this uh, relatively important position, relative position of power in a kitchen, despite being, you know, disadvantaged from the start. But I also love how they didn't discredit any of that, but showed how it limited her growth as a chef, because she's been so focused on fighting that battle and rigidly adhering to the norms within that environment in order to succeed in it, that she lost some of her creativity along the way. And Remy helps her get it back eventually. Mm-hmm. Um, and you kind of see, like, at the end, she's still very much the badass character that we know, but she's, like, the edges have softened. Mm-hmm. And, 
And I like that because, you know, it feels like for the first time in who knows how long in her career that she's been able to just relax a bit and enjoy herself in the kitchen as a chef. Mm -hmm. And I was really happy for her character on that front. Again, didn't care so much about the romance. Like, okay, good for them, whatever. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I, I loved her character. Yeah, I completely agree. I love your take on that. It's something that I guess I never really, really noticed. So I'm glad that you brought that up. Just kind of her her little arc that she has in this movie, like you said, to kind of soften up a bit. So, um, but yeah, I one of my favorite parts in the movie is when she is teaching Linguini the ways of the kitchen from <laughs> keeping a tidy workspace and the best way to like chop the vegetables and get them into the pot and, you know, keeping your how to keep your sleeves clean because up until that movie I didn't know any of that so when I'm baking like my shit is I I am a mess in the kitchen as well but and I that's even that's even with cleaning as I go (laughs) so I I just I loved all these little details these like tips and tricks to be quick and efficient and tidy in a kitchen setting so and but she is very kind of like forceful very like to the point with her instructions and even I think in that little bit that kind of training ish montage with her explaining everything even towards the end she's starting to soften in her explanations and giving a bit more context to some of the stuff a little softer I think and not so like only because Linguini is listening to her she's not used to being listened to Yes, without having to yell at people and sound like a drill sergeant because that's what she does at first Mm -hmm. (laughs) she does (laughs) so yeah I really I I really enjoyed Colette again yeah the romance whatever take it or leave it I think they did a really good job with that character and kind of showing some of the the hardships that you know I guess women in that field went through and probably still experience yeah, probably. Probably. And it, unfortunately, that's not even just isolated to the kitchen either. There's, right. It's it's like that everywhere. And Literally. I just, I don't understand it. I, I don't either. But eh, that's for it's another like, time. <laughs> just just in, in terms of French cooking, okay? French cooking has always been amazing. You know, how it's evolved over time. It's It's awesome. Their food is fantastic. I love it right? No, it is not the only cuisine in the world that I love or appreciate or that, you know, deserves that kind of recognition. But French cooking is, it's a whole culture and it and it's influenced our culture and everything. And, you know, who caused that to happen? A woman did, Julia Child, like, come on. Like, I watched her show growing up because I thought her voice was funny. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then I was like, oh, the food looks good too. <laughs> Same. Yeah. I but thought like, she had... Yeah, go ahead. Have you watched the Julia Child series? Um, I think it's on HBO Max. HBO Overy. <laughs> Discovery Max Plus. So it's just <laughs> emerging at this point. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> it's... It was 
really good at, at getting into everything that went into making that what it was and the uphill battle that she fought just to get there and everything. And then if you've watched like the movie Julie and Julia, which God, I love that movie. I don't care if other people, I love that movie. I would watch that movie anytime you put it on, I swear. Um, where it's a food in, movie. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> 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 but like where, where Julie is cooking her way through Julia's cookbook and, you know, struggling at times and everything, but learning a lot and kind of like gaining her own sense of self-confidence and, and control over her life and new perspective and all that. Like, it's beautiful what, what good cooking can do as far as improving one's quality of life, both directly because of the food and indirectly because of everything that goes into it. And I thought that they did a good job of capturing that transition with the various characters um, that, you know, get to experience Remy's food, including Colette. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I haven't seen any of those uh, Julia Child's shows, movies or anything, uh, except for the only one is the Drunk History. That was the very first episode of Drunk History uh, I ever drunk saw history. was the Julia Child. And it came in partway through that episode. So I had no context as to what the fuck I was watching. But I was <laughs> instantly hooked and I loved it. And then I learned a lot about Julia Child and what a badass she was. So like pre-cooking. Yeah. So I think this is an excellent way to segue into Anton Ego, the food critic that loves food. He loves food so much. But he's kind of a dick <laughs> at first. And the imagery that we see associated with Anton. Like and, coffin doors. Yep. And just that long, sullen face and very mean. And once he gives something a bad review, that's it for them. So he had already given gusto a bad oh. review because gusto's restaurant was starting to branch out or become bland for whatever reason but he ex but then anton experiences remy's cooking and has a completely transformative moment where he is again he softens like colette but much mushier <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how many times I've said this now, but that's like my favorite part of the movie. <laughs> Is that moment the for imagery Anton. in that moment? And don't you feel like you're chasing the unicorn a bit there? Like, like you want that moment with food? Yes, I want that experience. Like, I have that experience. I could die happy. Right? <laughs> like, seriously, I want that moment with food so bad. Like, how lucky is that asshole? <laughs> <laughs> no shit. First, first, he has an immeasurable amount of power over the food scene in Paris, of all places. And how do you get that kind of power? Like, what does he say? What did he do? I want, I want a prequel with Anton's career. <gasps> oh, my God, yes. I, I need Sorry. to understand how one person can have that much power as a critic. Mm -hmm. Like he's like the Siskel and Ebert of <laughs> food. Uh, but so he's got that coming into it. I'm like, oh man, imagine if I had that much power. Wow. Like over food. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't care about any other aspect of life. It's your villain origin story right there. <laughs> I'm going to single-handedly shape the restaurant scene in Madison, Wisconsin. <laughs> 
I have the power. (laughs) (laughs) Then he gets to go and have that amazing moment with food that I've never had. And I so I didn't. It's one of those things like you didn't know you wanted that. You didn't know you needed that until you saw it happen. And you're just like, that's what's missing in my life. Mm -hmm. And then then, you know, obviously that ruins his reputation as a critic. But what does he care? He now has like a personal chef who makes the best food in the world. He's the happiest he's ever been. Like everything about your life is amazing. And I wish I wish I could experience that for myself. (laughs) I would love to see an Anton Ego prequel to see how he got to the point that we first meet him in Ratatouille, you know, because he's like, I love food. I love food so much. And, you know, obviously <laughs> while you're watching the movie, you're like, mm, but do you, because you're kind of a dick, but I think he did truly start off loving food. I think at some point, my own little prequel that I've kind of made was that at one point he was a very happy, very nice chef. He did love food. He appreciated it. Took the time and maybe had a lot of those kind of moments that he had with the dish, with the ratatouille dish at the end. But then in order to kind of make it, or maybe he realized like he did have to give something a bad review and it was a bit scathing. And that's where people were like, whoa. And that's how he started getting his name recognized. And so he just kind of leaned into being a harsh critic still holding on to that idea of like, I love food so much that I'm going to poo-poo on it. (laughs) Gross. You know what I mean? But well, like, and then now we see that, you know, he's, he's back to truly loving food and truly appreciating the power of food. I I think that was something he lost. Yeah. Like his line, I, I don't know. He loved food so much that if he didn't, he, you know, it wouldn't even pass his lips or something like that, which would explain why he's kind of skinny for someone who loves food so much. Mm -hmm. And his job is eating and writing about it. Best job ever. Oh my God, I know. I would be the the best slash worst food critic because I'd be like, oh my God, it's so good. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you'd have to write that on like the, the um, emphasis that you place on the, oh my God, it's so good. Yeah. Because you'd say it, but, (laughs) but like, so I don't know. I was thinking because of his, his uh, flashback that he has when he bites into that dish for the first time, goes back to his childhood, you know, like he obviously had um, a mother who cared very much about him and like expressed her love for him and you know how much she cared for him in the food that she made him and that was comfort food for him mm-hmm. as you know he, she made it for him when he had a like crashed his bike broke his bike and hurt himself right mm-hmm. very sad well he's comforted by the food and I don't know maybe he left home thinking like he should find more of that and let the rest of the world know where they can get this experience too but then everywhere he went it just didn't measure up to what Mm. he his expectations were and that just drove him to bitterness maybe i don't know that's that's what i'm thinking i like that one too okay so we'll write the prequel we'll include a dance (laughs) number (laughs) a short musical number 
This one didn't have, Ratatouille doesn't have a musical number. That's okay, though. I was okay with that. Yeah, me too. Disney Pixar's don't always need to have any kind of musical number. Um, But ours will. Our our Anton Eco prequel will. So. (laughs) But where? But where? Hmm. It'll be like the taste buds are dancing. (laughs) (laughs) We'll just go weird. Yeah, or, or we could do like a funeral dirge every time we eat something that's like disappointing because his taste buds are dying from disappointment (laughs) (laughs) oh the possibilities are endless we'll get right on it straight away after the recording (laughs) yeah sure (laughs) Sure. yep that's gonna happen (laughs) yeah i really i like i said that ending moment with with ego and the way he does that 180 all through the power of food is it just shows how powerful food can be and how I think we all kind of want to have one of those transformative throws us back to a happier, more maybe loving time in our life. So much so. Also, is he like the personification of hangry? Ooh, yes. He is now. <laughs> I like, like it. He could do a cameo in the <laughs> next in the next Inside Out movie. <laughs> it's hangry. <laughs> I love that actually. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Anyway, thought... he's my favorite character uh-huh. for obvious reasons. There's like, I don't know, I, these might this might be back from the Vine days or whatever. So Vine TikToks, it doesn't matter, but there's a guy out there and his dad looks very much like Anton Ego to the point where oh, dude I saw that. dresses his dad up. And it is bless his dad for being such a great sport because it's not the first time he dresses. He's bugging his dad about whatever. But the Anton Ego one was just fucking perfection. He so looked like him. (laughs) They did the makeup. They got all the lines and the eyes. It was it's it's amazing. So, yeah, I liked. Yeah. Obviously, we need to have a food critic, I think, because we can't just have the only conflict in the movie to be uh, Skinner. Because, again, I think that's secondary to the overall plot of everyone can cook and just the power of food. And how it can bring us together and fill us, literally fill us with nourishment and food, but of love and good memories. Yeah, I feel like Anton was Remy's. Uh, antagonist and Skinner was Linguini's. Mm, I like that. I would agree. Uh, let's see. Anything else with any of the characters or any of the story plotline movie? Those things? Uh, well, we haven't really talked about the rat family much. You want to talk um, about the rat family? Dad is voiced I, by Brian Dennehy, which is, I mean, I know, it's I such a, there's such a, a mob vibe going on, which is kind of great. Um, <laughs> rats and the mob you know they just mm-hmm. have that great relationship yep. historically speaking. <laughs> but um again it was one of those things like i felt like it added context and some you know tangibility to remy where he's coming from where he wants to go and what's in his way and family standing in the way because they have like some kind of you know, notion of what they think you should be doing as opposed to what you want to be doing. It's a common thread. So I think it was good to weave that in there. 
Um, but again, it was one of those things where like I found some moments humorous, but like I don't need the rat family background story for this to be a good movie. It's just one of those like, yeah, uh, extra little bits that adds more to it, I guess. But I did enjoy the moment between Remy and his brother, Emil, mm-hmm. when he's trying to get him to experience the flavors mm-hmm. like he does. And he almost does he it. He almost gets there. He's getting the little flashes and the pops. And I loved how that was portrayed, too. He's so close. You're just like, it's one oh. of my favorite moments in the movie. Just... <laughs> <laughs> oh, Our... You lost me. <laughs> <laughs> I love I really appreciated that moment too because I feel like I feel like we've all kind of been there. We've almost had these like like out of body experiences with food. But then it's just like, you know what? I don't want to overthink it. I'm hungry. It's delicious. Just give me more. <laughs> oh no, I ate it all already. <laughs> oh no. Fourth taco gone. What am I going to do? Have another taco. <laughs> Cuz they're delicious. So good. I haven't had a taco in a while. I got to change that. Um, I'm glad you brought up the the rat family because I thought, I mean, I agree. It's just kind of another background story and just to kind of show that acceptance and also how the family was a bit set in their ways of like, we are rats and this is how we live and we can't break free of that. Otherwise we end up as dead rats hanging in a storefront window. That was quite the graphic display. <laughs> yeah, and it's an actual like store place display or whatever, I guess, in France. So, um, mm-hmm. so you got to love the realism there. And yeah. just the way that they, you know, kind of, again, come together as a family to support, as a family, as a clan, to support Remy and his dreams and, and to help him out. So that was that was really nice and everything, but not entirely necessary. But I appreciated Emil just always being hungry and just wanting to eat not necessarily giving a shit he's like i think this used to be a rapper (laughs) (laughs) i don't know it's crunchy it's filling up my stomach whatever (laughs) i feel like a lot of these characters are relatable for very different reasons (laughs) give me the garbage (laughs) and then i was reading that the actor who voiced Emil because they wanted the director wanted to make it sound like he's always eating something so he had him like chewing on like licorice or red vines while he was doing his voice and I thought that's awesome I didn't know that (laughs) so I didn't know that (laughs) gotta love that always sound yeah well because he was like almost always eating when we saw him that's true (laughs) but it's yeah it's funny how it's always garbage yeah <laughs> but most disappointing moments in the movie mm-hmm. was when remy made that that lightning zapped mushroom and didn't get to finish it yeah i was like oh but you'll never have that again that was like a perfect storm of <laughs> circumstances literally and figuratively let's you know <laughs> taste lightningy <laughs> <laughs> i want to taste something that tastes lightningy without lightning yeah i was just gonna say that i want to know what lightningy tastes like me too what do you think lightningy would taste like really sharp on your tongue but not like to the point where it's unbearable mm-hmm. what kind of flavor like us would there be like a smoky flavor that came with it or 
what would accompany that sharpness? A smokiness, yeah, but also I think you need like a, a flash of like the capsaicin kind of heat, <laughs> but just a really quick, a really quick one, and then it dies off. Gotcha. Okay. I like it. I haven't thought about this at all. <laughs> <laughs> Not at all. Not nope. Let's suck it. Nope. Never. All right. Well, okay. Any other characters you want to talk about before we move on to the next little bit here? Uh, I don't think so. Okay. I think that's, for the most part, the, the big big ones. But the main if characters. we want to go back to Remy for a bit. Sure. I thought of another potential inspiration point for him. Ooh. Flowers for Algernon. I, I was required to read that book and therefore watch the movie in school. Uh, but uh, quick synopsis, it's about um, a mentally disabled man who is uh, experimented on and, and given intelligence artificially through these lab exper experiments that they'd previously been doing on mice, one of the mice being Algernon, who becomes like Charlie's companion. The man's name is Charlie. Um, and then you kind of ride that high of them realizing, you know, all the potential that they have with this increase of intelligence. But then the experiments don't, like, it doesn't stick it starts to fade away and you uh, go through that devolvement back to their prior states for both Algernon and Charlie until, you know, they're back to the way they were. Um, but Algernon was like a super intelligent mouse. And I'm like, Remy taught himself to read. Was he experimented on or did, was he just born that way? Like, I don't know. Who knows? Well, that's actually very another very good segue into the next bit that I've got here. The Pixar theory. Are you familiar with the Pixar theory? I mean, I am now because I read it. <laughs> <laughs> but I had not been. And All right. So to go over what the Pixar theory is real quick, I'm fixing my screen so I can see all the things. Okay. So just real quick, Pixar Theory is a fan theory authored by John Negroni that connects all the Pixar films into one coherent timeline, starting with The Good Dinosaur, ending with Monsters, Inc. It explains the existence of magic, intelligent animals, and even talking cars, all in one interconnected universe. Uh, the Pixar Theory, I think, originally came out, it was a while ago. But it has since been updated to for 2022. So all the other Disney Pixar movies that have come out since then have been uh, included. So let's see. It looks like, yeah, 2013 is as far as the original Pixar theory went. And it's, I don't want to go all into it because each movie kind of has its place in the timeline. It's very, very interesting. It's a lot of fun, whether you want to believe it or not. I, I think I'm going to go ahead and subscribe to the Pixar theory. I kind of love it. So where Ratatouille lies within the Pixar universe, it's still assumed that since the movie came out in 2007, that the movie itself takes place somewhere in 2007, somewhere around there. From PixarTheory.com for the Ratatouille entry, in Ratatouille, Remy discovers his love for cooking and displays human characteristics. Some of them are walking on his hind paws, 
cleaning his hands, reading, and cooking. This is the first time we see personal interaction between human and animal, but it is for the purpose of controlling humans. Remy controls Linguini because Linguini does not know how to do anything. <laughs> That's such an oversimplification. Harsh. I love it. <laughs> uh, we see that Remy's rat clan does not approve of the humans and feels both fear and hate towards them. Now, within the Pixar theory timeline, this is kind of it, it kind of starts where animals and even like the toys, like in Toy Story, start to become sentient and aware and this and that. And so this is the first time that we will see creatures interacting with humans, even though the humans don't specifically understand them yet. So and. Oh, God, I could probably do like a whole episode on just the Pixar theory alone, because I think it's so interesting and so fascinating. And it's kind of like the MCU where I want to go and watch all the movies like in the timeline order, starting with Good Dinosaur and then going to Brave uh, and then The Incredibles, Toy Story, Toy Story 2, Finding Nemo, Ratatouille, Up, the Cars movies, and then Wall-E, A Bug's Life, and then... The monster movies because the timeline stretches from dinosaur times where dinosaurs end up not going extinct and ending in the year 4500 to 5000 wally that's another good one i love that movie so fucking much oh, how do you pick i don't know <laughs> this is why i'm making my tolerables pick because otherwise i'm just like i love this movie i mean i'm still gonna be like that during all the episodes but all right, so this was your first time hearing about the Pixar theory. What yeah. are your thoughts on the Pixar theory as a, just as a whole? I don't think it matters if it's the first time you've heard it or not. I think it's interesting. But your thoughts? Well, I I noticed the Easter eggs in different movies, and I just figured they were doing that for funsies, and I'm still kind of stuck in that in that zone. As much as I love the idea that they're like, you know. <laughs> tongue-in-cheek doing what marvel's been doing but probably before marvel was doing it mm -hmm. like, marvel copied us we're gonna sue you for all the marvel <laughs> earnings <laughs> um, don't give them any ideas with the way everything's just been so messy lately pixar owns everything oh my god <laughs> <laughs> sorry okay go ahead <laughs> i called it here we're gonna see if it happens oh god it probably will <laughs> I, I find it a little more tenuous, but not unbelievable. Like, seriously, enough weird ass stuff happens in Marvel movies that this doesn't seem too far fetched. Mm -mm. And I like the idea that, you know, something kind of drove us towards being able to better understand animals and other non human entities and whatnot. I mean, it still doesn't stop us from destroying the planet, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i've the first time i read the pixar theory years and years ago and i just was instantly smitten i loved it and yeah we see the little easter eggs you know it's been said that pixar movies they'll have little easter eggs from their you know previous movies and then also little hints as to what the next movie might be mm -hmm. so um, so there's, there's some of that throughout, you know, just like any other Disney Pixar, you know, we'll, we, there's also a hidden Mickey and all these other little nods and stuff. And that's really, you never really thought beyond that, just fun no. Easter eggs, fun things to look for. 
But then, yeah, this dude goes ahead and draws a line between them. And when you sit down and you read through the original Pixar theory, it it makes sense. I think it's pretty solid. That's fair. Like I said, I, I'm not saying it's completely unbelievable. It's just, right. I don't know. I'm, I'm missing that thing that just wraps that nice little bow on it, I guess. But I'm picturing you like always, like, I don't know if you've seen Always Sunny, but like, Charlie and his com- yes. conspiracy theories, like red thread boards everywhere. <laughs> oh my God. Absolutely. That's what I should change. Like the whole back of like my screen for when I'm like behind me where I sit <laughs> to just have like the conspiracy-, <laughs> the conspiracy board. Oh, I bet I could find oh, that. You should has start that as, drawing like, a background. conspiracy threads, like with all of your different shows and movies you've got represented there. Hmm. We'll just we'll just do six degrees of Nicolas Cage to all of them, and then bam, there you go. <laughs> you just have a giant picture of Nick Cage, like in a shrine. <laughs> I want like one of those like royal, you know, like the very like regal looking portrait types that exist of the different famous actors. There's one of Nicolas Cage that I have I don't, seen that one. I don't know why I don't own it yet, and I blame my friends. <laughs> That'd be a funny tattoo. <laughs> All right. So what do you think? Okay. So then how do you think, how do you feel about where Ratatouille lies within this Pixar, within the Pixar theory? I mean, I think it fits. We're not quite there as far as like having peer-to-peer conversations, relationships with animals and whatnot. But, you know, this is a very like prototypey feeling kind of situation, working out the kinks and whatnot. Yeah. I think it's, you know, in watching the movie with the keeping the Pixar theory in mind, all these moments of Remy kind of going against the family, his quasi ability, like he can understand humans mm-hmm. and, you know, the humans can't quite understand him. But I think, you know, especially Linguini starts to get the gist and probably eventually Colette and maybe even Ego. But this integration of sentient creatures with humans it's kind of that start of, you know, where the animals kind of not necessarily take over, but start to interact with the humans in the human world. And maybe even some resentment can start building under that, you know, maybe Remy's dad feels some resentment towards his, you know, towards the humans because of how they pulled his son away, even though whatever they all come together. Remy's restaurant at the end has a nice little section for the rats to try and class them up, to make them more human, to give them a place to sit down, enjoy and appreciate their food and not rummage for gar- gar- through garbage for garbage to make them that much more civilized. Mm-hmm. Eh? Eh? Yeah. Then in the, for, uh, under like finding Nemo, it talks about how the fish, the aquatic life, are very sophisticated, very advanced. They've got, uh, uh, they got the highway that the turtles travel and Shark schools. <laughs> cults. I love that. I love it. Yeah, and they've got cults. <laughs> so I just, it's kind of hard not to talk about like where Ratatouille falls and. Uh, within the Pixar theory without going too deep into the Pixar theory itself. But when you look at the timeline, you kind of read through it. It all kind of makes sense if you're willing to suspend your disbelief and go there. And I just think, I think this dude did a really great job and 
another website updated. I saw like pocketlint.com has included even the, the latest Buzz Lightyear movie within the time. Oh, I haven't seen that yet. I haven't seen it yet either. The kids have watched it. They like it, but like Ross likes all the Transformer movies, so we'll just leave it at that. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he has no taste. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> He's too much like his mom. He loves it all. Well, I just wanted to bring up the Pixar theory because I love it, like I said, a thousand times. I think it's so interesting, and it's just a really, really kind of fun thing to sit and go through and keep in mind as you're watching. Yeah, I might like go back and watch some of these movies just because I want to, but also like thinking about this, like, okay, maybe, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. And definitely check out like the updated version as well because of how it works in like the movie Luca and how we start to see that transformation between these mythical, magical creatures and humans and then how they can kind of like coexist. Hope that's not a spoiler. Um, like Pokemon. Like Pokemon. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta catch them all. All right. Well, we will go ahead then and start wrapping it up. Do we have, do you have any stray bubbles for this movie? Uh, Anything we didn't get a chance to touch on? Last chance to bring it up. What meal of all the ones that you saw or like food dishes in the movie would you want to try the most? Like it's it's difficult not to say the ratatouille because of Anton's reaction. But mm -hmm. if you could if you could level the playing field, the soup. Say, okay. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I know the answer to this one. <laughs> what about you? Because like he, you know, Linguini kind of fucks it up, and Remy goes in and fixes it and makes it so much better. And it's just like he's not measuring anything, which is the one thing that freaks me out about cooking. Oh, that and like not cooking meat all the way through and f serving that to someone—that also scares the shit out of me. <laughs> Steak is supposed to be medium rare, right? Right. Mm. <laughs> I made the joke the other <laughs> night about serving medium rare chicken, and Timmy did not think that was funny. <laughs> <laughs> he did not laugh <laughs> he got very upset Ew. quite offended yeah and mostly disgusted <laughs> but okay, I i'm not even the soup yeah the soup looked the best especially after remy fixed it i'm not even a big fan of mushrooms generally speaking because i think the way they usually get cooked gives them like a boogery rubbery texture <laughs> it's just not for me <laughs> look i my own boogers as a kid who didn't <laughs> I'm not going to pretend I was above that. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> but I want to try the lightning mushroom. I but failing that, failing mm -hmm. that, I got to know what that sauce was all about. That, uh, you know, him and Colette and Via mm -hmm. Remy had that battle over. Like, that must have been the most amazing switch ever. Because mm -hmm. what was it before? Like anchovy licorice sauce? Something Gross like that. That just doesn't Gross. sound good. Yeah. Like, don't get me wrong. I've eaten black licorice when I went to Denmark. They have like little candy shops all dedicated to it. It's that important to them. And it was, no, it was good. Really? Okay. I, I know. Very surprising, right? <laughs> but I was like, ooh, and now there's so many to try. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, my favorite one had like this stripe of salty seaweed. Oh, interesting. Um, it, that they used in making it. It was so good. But 
anchovies and licorice oh no no i i don't Mm-mm. even know <laughs> yeah no no, no. so yeah, like the new the new sauce yeah i gotta know i gotta know <laughs> that's a fair okay that's a good one i i mean really like anything from this movie damn near anything i don't care just it all looks good feed it to me i'm not a fa- i don't like mushrooms either but i would have done like a tiny taste of the lightning mushroom oh man that thing looked puffed up like popcorn i'd just eaten it, it. <laughs> <laughs> mm, texture <laughs> but yeah there was something there's just something about the way that soup looked and i think just soup animated soup in general just always looks really good why really is that good. i don't know i think it looks it's up there with like anime bread <laughs> <laughs> Or like oh, the, the bread in this movie looked good too. Oh my god, everything! I uh, so fucking good. the little omelets that Remy made, like oh, oh yeah, <laughs> the little. Omelets. I love the mouse size omelet. Like, know, can we so just cute. make mouse size omelets and like make that a snack pack? And you're just like munching on little omelets. All yes, day? yes, that would be fantastic. <laughs> Why wasn't that part of the Chef Boyardee range? <laughs> I don't know, but that would have been brilliant. Much better, right? Much better. Than... I feel like we've had a lot of good ideas during we this do. episode. We always have really good ideas, <laughs> and they're Might oddly, be biased. and they're oddly like either musical based or food based. <laughs> this time we are combining the two mm-hmm. for the Anton Ego prequel and the sequel with the Mozart like rat that mm-hmm. you know composes symphonies using food. Yes. Damn, we're brilliant. So brilliant. Uh, I don't know how we haven't been swept away by these major studios to start writing and adapting right? all these ideas. I, I feel like my talent's been wasted. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the one other stray bubble I have is that the director, Brad Bird, had female animators work on Colette whenever possible. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. I love the little, again, attention to detail there. Mm-hmm. Right on. All right. Well, we will go ahead now and move on to the next segment, the Six Degrees of Nicolas Cage, the Ratatouille edition. We get to a Nick flick in six steps or less, starting with this movie. Laura, how did you do? Well, I I got a quick one. Um, So as you mentioned earlier, uh, Remy is voiced by Patton Oswalt, which is awesome. And apparently Patton Oswalt's grandfather, John L. Oswalt, worked on the set of Raising Arizona with Nick Cage. No way. That's awesome. It's the only movie he worked on, apparently. So Oh, that's all that's even better. Okay. That's mine. I like it. (laughs) So I have two of them, and one of them also ends with Raising Arizona. Uh, so this first one, so Lou Romano voices Linguini in Ratatouille. Lou also does the voice of Bernie Knopp, I think. I can't read my handwriting, but he does a voice of a character in the movie The Incredibles, who stars Holly Hunter as Mama Incredible, who was Nicholas's wife, Ed, in Raising Arizona. Oh, why didn't I see that before? (laughs) (laughs) All right, that's a good one. The other one that I have... So Brad Garrett voices Gusto in the movie. 
He also does plays a character named Dom in The Incredible Burt Wonderstone, which is Steve Carell's uh, magician movie, which I have seen. <laughs> but also in the movie, I think if anything, like the people that they got to be in the movie, it, it's just one of those things where it's like, wow, you've got all this talent, all these big name actors to just make just uh, have I don't know they they made this movie that happens a lot a lot but one of the great talents in the incredible Burt Wonderstone was uh, Steve Buscemi as Anton Marvelton and he was Garland Green aka the Marietta Mangler in Con Air with Nicolas Cage <laughs> put the bunny back in the box <laughs> <laughs> Your favorite uh, line. <laughs> yep. Oh, man. I cannot wait for you to watch Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent. Please, when you do, you need to, like, send us messages. Send messages to the Nick Cage group chat. Like, as I'm watching it? Or if you want. I don't want it you to... I don't want to take you out of the movie, but... <laughs> if you can. <laughs> or just when you feel... Whatever. I just you know, can't wait to hear your thoughts Totally cool when I... Uh... Did that with jujitsu. Oh my god, it was the funniest <laughs> thing. I loved it. Fucking jujitsu. Okay. Anyways, so that's been the six degrees of Nicolas Cage. Da, 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 da. All right. So as we continue on our Midwest goodbye <laughs> into hour four of the Midwest goodbye, what has been streaming in your bubble, Laura? Sandman. Oh, nice. I have been waiting for that show for so long and it finally arrived and I'm like, when season two, I need more. <laughs> I take it you've already watched the bonus episodes. I see now oh, not you, you yeah. know I did. <laughs> oh God. I just since I'm not done with the season yet because I'm taking my time with it and I'm trying not to just like rush through it, I'm trying to savor it. Just like every bite of ratatouille. Um mm. I, I just, I want to skip to the bonus episodes because I know who pops up in them. And I just want to see and hear their voices really, really bad. But I'm going to make my way naturally. Though. I'm super digging it so far. I love the look. I think they've done an amazing job capturing kind of the feel of the comic book and also even the audio production. I think it's been a great mix of really the two. I, I I have nothing bad to say about this this show so far. I love everything about it. I really do. And, you know, I've always allowed for flexibility where Neil Gaiman adaptations are because he seems to adjust to the times that he's in. But also, you know, he has that ability to rework his art because that is art. And I think, you know, the purists out there often lose sight of that. Um, and for a while, you know, I was one of those, those purists, like when they started getting a little more artistic with the Harry Potter movies and less true to the source material, I was upset as, as a younger person. But now I look back on it and I'm like, you know what, actually, I really appreciate that. I think I finally understand like what they were trying to do here. Mm -hmm. And I'm glad that I've had that personal growth as a TV movie watcher because I feel like I'm free to enjoy the source material for what it is 
and enjoy other presentations of the source material or other things that are based off of the source material without ruining any of those experiences. And uh, I'm glad that I reached that point in my life in time for Sandman to be what it is now, because this show is amazing. And every change that they've made was thoughtfully done with Neil Gaiman's input. And I can't recommend it enough. Right on. Wow. Very strong, high praise. I love it. I understand people maybe not being too happy about it, certain changes from source material to on screen. Uh, I don't, I don't know that I've ever really like kind of been one of those just because I've rarely taken in the source material, read the book or comics before seeing it on the screen. This is one of those rare instances where I haven't read, while I haven't read all of the Sandman comics, I read the first few of them and then I listened to act one of the audiobooks. So I'm a little bit in that boat, but I don't know that. I've ever really kind of been one of those like purist gatekeeper-y types. I, and I'm not saying that like I never was. I just don't remember. I probably was because I was a much bigger asshole when I was younger and whatnot. But I'm I've I too have softened and and I think just there are people out there. This is their first exposure to the Sandman and they totally dig in the series, love the season to the point where they're reading the books. They're listening to the audio production of it. And really, isn't that what it's all about is reaching a new audience, reaching new people, having these stories be so timeless that they can connect to folks throughout time for the last, mm -hmm. you know, 40 years. This this show or, you know, these stories have touched people. So I think it's great that like kind of newer fans like myself can appreciate all presentations of it. I love them all. I think they've all been fantastic. And I'm really looking forward, but also not, to finishing the season. Because <laughs> it's I'm just so gonna good. watch it again. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so it's like I said, it's been a nice kind of the show so far for me has been like that nice combination of the images from the books and then just kind of that sound and that feeling and that vibe you get from the audio production with that amazing cast that they have doing all the voices it's so fucking good so mm -hmm. this the show's just i think just like that perfect mashup and also my other favorite thing about the sandman series is seeing neil game and take down the haters on twitter that's i know my favorite song <laughs> I had no idea that that was going to be so entertaining, but it really is. It's super entertaining. <laughs> I love it. On one hand, I wish he wouldn't draw attention to these poo-poo heads, but on the other hand, it's fucking hilarious and whatever. Hey, you if do, you're going to you know, draw attention to him, you know, that's the way to do it. Exactly. Roast the <laughs> Here's shit Here's why out you're of wrong. <laughs> so what else? Sandman kind of here and there. Timmy and I are still watching, uh, working our way through season two of Only Murders in the Building. I think there's one last episode. Oh no! It comes out this week and he's gone on vacation and I'll have to fucking wait. <laughs> oh! Did not think about that. Sorry. <laughs> that was a very harsh, ugly realization I just had. Um, because this last episode, it was so super. I mean, I love this show so much. I've talked about it a lot uh, since the since I watched the first season. 
But this last episode, the penultimate episode, the way I gasped, like I hadn't breathed in years. I just, I love shows that can just kind of elicit any kind of Ooh. reaction. And even, you know, Timmy didn't gasp out loud, but he definitely made like a gaspy kind of face, like eyes wide, mouth open, like, <gasps> and we're just looking at each other. And I think that's how we finished the last couple minutes of that episode. We're just like, oh my God. <laughs> I'll have to uh, add that one to the list of things to stream. I highly recommend this show. It's so smart. It's so funny. There's, I think, I feel like it's like very nuanced in like the writing and the humor. You've got your your boomer representation of Steve Mar- <laughs> with Steve Martin and Martin Short. And then you've got this younger representation of Selena Gomez and the way that they just kind of mesh well in the writing that goes along for all of these characters. It just, they all work. Who knew these three would works so well together as a little trio um yeah i love that and it's you know it's murder mystery so they're trying to figure out who done it we don't you as the viewer don't know who done it so it feels very interactive in that sense it's like Hmm. the episode ends and then timmy and i we're pulling from the little clues that were given to us in the show but then also whatever little like non-obvious clues you know I, i i don't know how a better way to phrase that but sounds almost Sherlock Holmes like a little bit so it's but it's it's just so funny and it's really there's moments where it's just really sweet there was I think AV Club kind of referred to it as like a fluffer episode and I guess it kind of was but it gave us a little bit more insight to just a side character this doorman I think Jerry or Larry and I did not expect to feel the feels for this man and he just had me melting I was just like oh my god you're so sweet. I love you so much. <laughs> okay, okay. I have to watch this. So and, I will watch this and the unbearable weight of massive talent. And I will um, let you know how that goes. Oh, my God. I can't wait for you to watch both of those. So and, and Only Murders, like, it's their shorter seasons. Like, I think eight episodes, eight to ten episodes, only about a half hour each. So a quick binge relatively speaking yay it sounds like a before bed thing yeah oh and then we and then i watched uh rossi and i watched the first episode of she hulk attorney at law and i just thought that was just a delight and i really enjoyed it it was just kind of funny it had a tiny sweet moment but it was i'm i'm it's got me that much more interested and pumped for the season admittingly i was just like oh okay here we go i'll watch it but i okay, love this okay. first episode I got to admit that I'm curious about it, um, not just because of the Daredevil cameo and him being an attorney as well, but like just being it being called She-Hulk, attorney at law, immediately makes me think of Harvey Birdman, attorney at law. <laughs> and I'm like, oh God, is it going to be like that? <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> and I'm like, or is it going to be like Marvel superhero meets Boston legal? Because uh, I, I, I adore that show. I really do. Uh, have you ever seen it? Um, I mean, I remember it, but I never got into it. Oh, man, I love it so much. <laughs> I really do. I'm a sucker for, for, you know, attorney shows that air on the funnier side of things. Sure. I, I, I recommend checking out the first episode and just kind of seeing how you feel after that it's got me like i said that much more pumped actually got me like more pumped for 
the rest of the season. Huh. So, I mean, I didn't really know what to expect, but I thought it was a pretty solid first episode. And I, you know, had Rossi and I just kind of chuckling along. I look over at him a couple of times and he's just smiling. And at first he really was just kind of like, uh, I don't know if I want to watch this. I was like, shut up. There's post credits. <laughs> and he's like, oh, well, if there's post credits, it's like, ah, know, see, because <laughs> it's because it's Marvel. So <laughs> but I will submit this podcast idea to you mm-hmm. since we've already done good omens, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, you know, we, we got to keep the Neil Gaiman train going. Mm-hmm. There are so many adaptations to choose from. And I've already seen Lucifer and now I've seen Sandman. And, you know, I just told you and Eric about how much I adore Stardust, even if he doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, there are so many that I haven't seen as well. So... I don't know if this is something we can do more regularly, but I would love it. Let's let's get a bit more caught up on our Doctor Who, and then our Neil Gaiman can kind of take place of our Doctor Who once we get Hooray! all caught up on our coverage there. Because we've got a lot going on. I've got ideas just oozing out the orifices. So. Well, <laughs> as our <laughs> listeners are very well aware of now. <laughs> Ew. Uh, yeah, because I've got, you know, I want to do, I want to keep going with the uh, Disney Pixar ones. I want to cover some 90s movies, do the ones that I, you know, cover movies that I either haven't seen or I've only seen bits and pieces of or I only watched once a really long time ago and don't remember. So those are kind of the three movie series that I'm starting that I'm very, very excited to start. You, Laura and Eric, uh, us three are trying to move forward with our Doctor Who episodes, which we took kind of a year off. We'll go ahead and call it a COVID break, even though it wasn't. But yeah, that's why we didn't do them last yeah, year. Yeah, it's yeah, COVID yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it wasn't because so, we were upset about the whole, you know, timeless child thing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> so we, you know, just a lot of ideas going on, a lot of stuff I want to cover, and I'm hoping to eventually get to, but should probably slow it down and pace them out mm-hmm. a little bit better so we don't just start getting overwhelmed but you Still know because added to the list added to the list so because i also came up with our next dc character to talk about for next year for 2023 are we doing <laughs> one a year is that how that works no i just figured instead of trying to squeeze another dc one in this year it would probably just be better to go ahead and just tentatively plan for next year. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> so I'm kind of looking forward to that because your response to that make has me quite intrigued. But <laughs> planning on doing covering Lex Luthor in 2023. That will be our first DC character we come back and chatter about. And um, we'll see. I don't know. I don't know I'm not going to say anything gal- now. Not going to say anything now. I was just going to say, I don't know how my nerd gallery feels about this, but we'll find out (sighs) all right but in the meantime my bubblies thank you all so much for listening thank you laura for joining me today as always and talking about this wonderfully sweet and delicious looking movie and Mm -hmm. i'm gonna go watch it again (laughs) (laughs) just for the food 
Just for the food. <laughs> oh, just for that soup. And then to really wonder what was going on with that sauce. Um, I know. So, again, thank you, everyone. And keep streaming. Bye. Bye. If you're enjoying the pod, be sure to let me know by rating and reviewing on a podcast player near you. And since sharing is caring, be sure to share your favorite episodes with your friends, family, mail carrier, everyone. Be sure to follow me on Twitter at Streaming Bubble. You can find me on Facebook and Instagram as My Streaming Bubble. And if you have any recommendations for what should be streaming in the bubble next, or you want to be tolerated, send an email to mystreamingbubble at gmail.com. If you want to show your love and support for this little old podcast in monetary form, search My Streaming Bubble over at buymeacoffee.com and buy me a cheese wedge or two. And if you want to take that love and support to the next level, head over to Redbubble where you can find and buy My Streaming Bubble merch from the logo to quotes from episodes with funny little pictures to go with it. All monetary support goes right back into the podcast from new recording equipment to night cheese. Thanks for all your support and keep streaming. Oh, what if Pixar does a movie about spiders? I'm not going to watch it. Really? But it's Pixar. It'll probably be really like cute and <sighs> probably would heartwarming. Be really cute. Probably make me change my stance on spiders. I you know, it could be about web designers. <laughs>